My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. Good evening. Welcome to a Minor Detail radio podcast. I am your host. My name is Ryan Miner. And tonight we have a special show. Typically, I do the show on Sunday evenings. This past weekend was a long weekend. But tonight, it's, it's a bit of a somber show. Not even a bit. It's, it's, a, it's a tragic story of a mom who lost her son to an overdose. This is a story we continue to hear over and over and over and all around this country, community after community. And it's happening right here in the state of Maryland. Every time you open up a newspaper, another young face appears. And we're going to try to get to the bottom of this show with this, uh, in this conversation, in this show. And I'm going to do my very level best to allow Suzanne to tell her story. And... Uh, she's going to lead the way. So I'm going to go ahead and welcome my guest, Suzanne. How are you this evening? Hi, Brian. I'm fine. Thanks for Thank calling you for in. And, absolutely. And thanks for reaching out to me last week and through email. And uh, last week we had an opportunity to have a lengthy conversation uh, during one of, one of the evenings. And I think we had a really touching and productive call. And so, and for the record, could you, could you pronounce your full name? Um, I don't want to mispronounce your last name because it's, uh, it's unusual to me. So you could pronounce your first and last name. I would appreciate it. Sure. It's Suzanne Damagala. Okay. I, phonetically, that's how I thought it was pronounced, but Suzanne, you reached out to me last week through email. And if you could tell the audience why you reached out to me and what you wanted to accomplish with this discussion. Okay. Um, the reason that I did was because um, I heard that you cover um, political issues um, primarily for the Washington County area. And I had started a Facebook page um, because my son's father, Brian Albert, is a candidate for the Washington County Sheriff's position. So um, I started that because um, Mr. Albert was not present in my son's life at all. Um, well, he I take that back. He saw him a total of three times during his life, and um, it wasn't because I ever denied him an opportunity to see him 
Um, he he just wasn't present. He never wanted to visit him. He never spoke to him aside from those uh, those times. Um, they shared a couple of um, Facebook messages later on. I, I can get to that progression, but um, th- that's why um, basically why I started the Facebook page um, because I felt that that was a crucial issue um, in the race for sheriff. Um, the fact that that Brian's uh, character was an issue. I um, I see the position of sheriff as um, not just an administrative law enforcement position, but uh, also as a community leader. And I think that integrity and ethics are of paramount importance to that type of position. And if a man can turn his back on his child, I think that's important for the community to know and for the voting public to know. Suzanne, I want to start from the very beginning. And Mm -hmm. you suffered the unimaginable, uh, uh, unspeakable tragedy as a parent losing a child and as a parent you know and i i'm a parent to two wonderful kids and i i i just i don't have the right combination of words to tell you how sorry i am and that seems so weak and and meager but from the bottom of my heart i am truly sorry for the loss that you have suffered. And I'm, I, I, I just, I, I am so sorry. And, and I, I mean that. And I can't even begin to imagine the, just how difficult the last year and a half has been for you and your family. But I want to talk and use this as an opportunity to bring awareness to an important issue and mm-hmm. to talk about your son, who's most important okay. front and center. So I would like to start yes. from the very beginning. Tell me about Zach. Okay. Um, Zach was, um, and I guess everybody thinks their child is wonderful, but. <laughs> My mom did. You know, he, he, he was, um, he was uh, a beautiful soul, of course. Um, he was a, a shy little boy growing up. Um, but he really blossomed into um into a really joyous great kid um when he broke out of his shell he he really broke out of his shell he became um uh, kind of the the kid that wanted to make everybody laugh in school um he turned into an athlete um he loved to play baseball um he learned how to play guitar. He had a beautiful singing voice, and um, he he learned to love history and uh, was studying to he, – he wanted to become a history teacher. Um, he decided he wanted to go into the Marine Corps when he was 16 years old, 
and went into what's called the delayed entry program. So he started work, working with a recruiter at age 16 and went ahead and signed um, the intention papers. And, um, and then, of course, as soon as he got out of high school, he went into um, boot camp and originally was going to go in uh, full time, but my mother was diagnosed with dementia. And I didn't ask him to, but he, on his own, saw um, the difficulty that I was going to have taking care of her in my home um, by myself. And so he changed his mind from full-time active duty to um, a reservist uh, so that he could help care for her uh, in our home. Um, so um, he was going to college and um, doing the reserve duty instead of being a uh, full-time active duty Marine. And um, what else what can I say about that? In the, what got him interested in military service or the Marine Corps? What got him interested in it? Yeah. Um, well, my dad was a Marine in World War II, but he um, he wasn't a, a lifelong Marine. I think that's what drew Zach towards the Marines as opposed to another um, branch of the service. Um, but I think just his love of country, his um, looking for a way to serve, um, I had always, um, I brought up my children with um, just a, I wanted them to realize how lucky they were to have been born in our country and to have a respect and, and a love of the country. And I think Zach definitely had that um, from a very early age. And so he he wanted to give back. Um, um, even though he was a small child, he was always very affected by um, the tragedy of 9-11. Uh, and up until his death, every year we would watch on 9-11, Zach and I would sit down and watch um, replays of things together on the anniversary and would talk of that. Every single year. Um, how do you, how do you think, the how do you think the incident of 9/11 affected Zach? Um, so much so that um, when we took our one trip to New York City together, we went there to um, see the uh, the Orioles play the Yankees, and. Um, the only other thing that we did when we were in New York City was go to Ground Zero. Um, we didn't go to Times Square. We didn't go to the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> the only other thing we did was go to Ground Zero. So um, he was very affected by it. Um, Zach just had a he had a a real love for the country. I mean, he was a kid that. Um, he he had a real respect for the founding of the country. Um, uh, he, you know, he he wanted to teach history to young children. He wanted to share that with kids. Yeah. So. I bet when 
your son shipped off to basic training, it's always hard for a parent, especially if he graduated from high school. Um, mm-hmm. It's always more scary, so it seems, for the parents. And as we're encouraged, we have a high schooler, and we're encouraging him to consider military service. And we're pushing him towards one of the service academies for college or the Naval Academy or West Point. And that's very important. Um, we come a, from a long line of um, my family on both sides of military service. And it's, it's so important. And to, to understand people go into to the service for a number of reasons. And like your father, my grandfather is a world war II veteran, but it sounds like Zach had a, a foundational understanding of what this country meant to him, and he wanted to give back in a meaningful way. Yes, he absolutely did, um, and and that's what it meant to him. Um, he um, he did. He just wanted to give back. He wanted to be a part of something bigger than himself. Um, he he wanted he wanted to be a part of the brotherhood. Um, I think also that part of him that didn't grow up with that father figure too, um, that helped to fill that that longing, that yearning in him as well. So it helped to fill that void. There's a obviously there's a moment where um, we're most afraid of as parents, um, and that's you know when our children are introduced to the concept of drugs or drinking or smoking. And, uh, you know, look, I, back in college, high school, and even in my twenties, I, I made mistakes in college. I drank too much, got behind the wheel and drank too much, um, smoked cigarettes, uh, you know, did things with my friends that I look back and think, man, that's, I shouldn't have done that. And young, stupid. Um, I was in a fraternity. Um, And Zach and I are 10 years apart. And so uh, I'm 32. And um, I was, I was born in 85. Um, What, at what moment, when did the, when did you first notice that he had a problem? Um, with with the drugs, um, yeah. There was actually a very distinct moment um, when I saw his lips turn blue, um, which was in the springtime, late spring of 2016. He was getting ready to go to a friend's party. And he had been upstairs in the shower and he came bustling down the stairs, you know, ready to roll right out the door. And he walked into the kitchen. The kitchen lights were out. And he turned around and looked at me. I was sitting down on the couch or on, in a chair in the, in the living room. Um, and when he turned around, I could see him just, I mean, his face was white, his lips were white, and it looked like I, I thought I was I thought it was an illusion somehow because he was standing up, you know, and so then he walked over 
and sat down on the couch and I watched his lips turn blue and he sort of nodded out and um, I I yelled at him. I said, you know, I called his name. I said, Zach, Zach, what, what's wrong with you? And um, and he 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 came to, and I said, what what's wrong? What did, you know? What did you do? What what's going on? And he said, you know, he he like sort of woke up and said nothing, nothing. And I said, what what did you do? What's you know? And I I immediately knew that he had taken something, done something. Um, because uh, unfortunately, I was at that point in time. I'll back up just a little bit, but I mean, I had a little bit of a background, the effects of opioids, because my job at that point in time, I was doing intake at the detention center in uh, Anne Arundel County. Mm-hmm. So, part of my job was interviewing inmates right off the street. Um, so. Wow. A lot of the inmates that I spoke to had heroin problems, so I was pretty familiar with these effects. Um, the last thing I expected, though, was for him to was you know this to be happening. So anyway, I I I said, Zach, I've got I had my phone in my hand at this point in time, and I said, I'm calling nine one one. What did you, t- you know, what's going on? And then he stood up and he said, no, no, no. I'm, he said, I'm fine, I'm fine. He said, it was just one of my Percocets. He said, I'd, I'd shoot it up because he had had surgery in December um, for, he had, he had injured his shoulder way back when he went to boot camp in 2013. He had not had it repaired until 2015, December of 2015. So here it is, spring of 2016. Um, he was still out on medical leave from the Marine Corps. Um, he said, I just chewed it up because for whatever reason that he told me. And he said, I didn't expect for it to hit me like that. Well, I didn't really believe that, but... I didn't know what to think. I was just so shaken up. And then I said, no, you can't go. And he just left. And he went out and drove away and went to his friend's party. What I had just witnessed was him basically, you know, almost overdosing. Um, and I didn't know it where at did the time. The, where did yeah. the pain... I'm I'm reading a... People magazine article online and there's a paragraph that begins to explain what happened. Zach had hurt his shoulder in boot camp and the Mm -hmm. article says he powered through it and dealt with the pain and he Mm -hmm. inherited a condition from you that causes your joints to dislocate or partially dislocate easily though. And it started happening more often to the shoulder. And then the article says that he finally had the recommended surgery in December of 2015. And then he was Mm -hmm. prescribed the opioids after his surgery. And the article goes on to say that he was eager to get back to work and of course, return to his reserve drills and with the Marines. And then Mm -hmm. he started 
working out and then taking the pills to cover up the pain, to, to, to halt the pain. And then that's a common story. It's a common narrative of how so many people like your son became addicted. Mm -hmm. They had a surgery, they had an injury and they took an opioid. It was prescribed to them, not in a nefarious way, because that's what happens. Right. You you get a prescription mm-hmm. drug to overcome the pain, to mitigate that, and then you wean off the drug. And then once you become you develop that addiction, you then it becomes a reliant. And it's, exactly. you said that he started chewing pills, then snorting them, mm-hmm. and then he started. Right buying pills on the street uh, because mm-hmm. he needed more of what was being described. And then a friend of his who supplied pills suggested that he use heroin because it was cheaper. Um, he said he didn't like needles, but he only snorted mm-hmm. that. So yeah, he never, never ever used needles. Can you, I know it's painful, but would you be willing to, to walk through that process that you went through with your son while he was battling this problem, what did you observe? Mm -hmm. What did you see? How did you get him help? How did he help himself? And what did, what did you do to, to make sure that he's, that he beats this addiction? Yeah. Um, Well, the easiest way that I can try to describe it to anyone that hasn't been through this is from that point forward, I felt like I was in one of those dreams where you're paralyzed, um, where your limbs won't move. You're in a crisis situation, but you can't move or you can't scream. It's like a dream. Um, Yeah. And that's what it felt like. Like I could see him going through this horrible situation and I couldn't really help him the way I should be able to um, because I tried a lot of things for for a lot of months before anything really worked. Um, the, the first thing that I did, because I immediately knew, even though I didn't want to admit it, that it was probably heroin that he was doing um, just because of what I had witnessed then. So I immediately called his girlfriend and, um, you know, asked her if she knew if Zach was doing any other drugs. Um, And she didn't, you know, she didn't know. Um, I tried to talk to a couple of his friends and see if they knew of anything and they thought I had lost my mind. They they were like, no, Zach doing drugs? Are you crazy? Um, Uh, My mom, she she always threatened to call my friend's parents and she did and that was just Uh my mother. She would say, well, I'm going to call Matt's mom or I'm going to call Nick's mom. I want to see what you're up to and then Mm -hmm. the moms would talk and they would get together and they kept you know they couldn't they couldn't always control us cuz we were coming into our own and doing our own thing at that time 
And um, so then uh, we started, so I talked to his girlfriend and I said, well, look, we've got to really start um, seeing what information we can find out. Um, and then I, I forget exactly how long after this had happened, but there was an incident, and I'll, I'll give you a little background on this. Zach had had um, an extra debit card of mine since he was probably 12 years old. He just had it because I had an extra one, and I had given it to him in case there was ever an emergency. Zach had never, ever once taken a dollar out of my bank account. Never, never made an unauthorized purchase, never bought a pack of gum or a soda, not once. Never put any gas in his car, never. So, but he had had this card all these years. Well, then one day I was checking my bank account balance. I just happened to, or no, I think I woke up on a Saturday morning and I was going to balance my checkbook and I saw something strange and I actually, I literally saw money being taken out of my account, hmm. and I called Zach, and I, I thought maybe he had lost my card, and I said, "What is going? What's going on?" You know, and he said, "No, I'm going to put it back." And um, I mean, this wasn't this wasn't my son, who had you know who had never, ever, ever even bought a pack of gum with my car before. Um, and, I, you know, he took $40 out, and then about an hour later he took $80 out. And, and I, you know, I, this, it was ridiculous. I, I didn't understand what was going on. I, so this uncharacteristic behavior started, and then... Um, at the first, he did put the money back, but then his girlfriend did intercept a text message between him and this, I won't even, he wasn't somebody that I knew. He was someone that Zach said he had been working for doing some construction work. And um, there was some language in there that I knew that they were talking about drugs. Mm-hmm. Well, when I when she sent me a screenshot of that, um, I was at work at the time, and um, I just finished up. I was traveling back and forth between my office and the detention center, and I can remember just sitting in the parking lot and breaking down in tears because mm-hmm. that was the moment I knew for sure that he was... Um, doing heroin and I think I think I knew right then that was when I knew that that I was I don't know I think that's the moment that I knew that I was going to lose him I just I've I've never been so scared and so uh, I don't know it's the most horrible feeling so I got myself together and I went inside and I immediately um, looked up Narcan classes because at that point in time they didn't have free Narcan classes in Queen Anne's County where I lived, but they did have them in Anne Arundel County where I work. 
So I did take a Narcan class, and, and I started carrying Narcan with me. Now, when I would ask Zach about this, he still wasn't admitting to me that he was doing heroin. He was denying everything. But by this time, his behavior was so different than the, the kid that I knew just months before this that he was unrecognizable to me in his behavior. Um, he didn't look that different, um, but mm-hmm. he his actions were it was it was as though an alien had invaded him, and he was being controlled by someone else. I could look him straight in the eye, and it was like he was no longer inside his own body. So, I. He, he was staying, he was living, had been living at his girlfriend's house a lot of the time anyway. Um, and, of course, that was getting rocky over there um, because of his behavior, too. Um, it got to the point where I was trying the tough love avenue, and, and I said, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to kick him out of my house until... I can get him to get some help. Um, but in order for this to work, he has to be kicked out of everybody else's house because um, not only did he have his girlfriend's house that he could go to, but, um, you know, he had a friend's house whose mother loved him that would always take him in. I knew he would go there also. So I had to call over there and tell them what was going on. And, of course, told him that Zach was doing heroin, you know, and I said, look, please, I know Zach's going to show up at your house, too, when he can't stay anywhere else. Um, please don't let him come there. And uh, so I I had to try to arm everyone with this knowledge and tell them, I know you're going to feel horrible, but don't let him stay at your house. He's, you know, we've got to try this. And, and in order for him to admit, number one, what he's doing and try to get him help. And so, the people. Uh, mm-hmm. In the people.com article, you said that Zach tried rehab once and you made him move mm-hmm. 100 miles away. You relapsed. Right. You quit your job. You moved to be with him. And you said mm-hmm. you lost your mind. He went back to rehab. I, I did. And. Then you became best friends. It looks like you had a a, a reawakening together, and you said he had lost mm-hmm. he had lost or sold all of his belongings, but it didn't matter. You mm-hmm. drove him to AA and Narcotics Anonymous, and you would take him in the evenings. You would take the uh, he would take the bus back, and you'd mm-hmm. pick him up, and. He didn't care that he didn't have a car, the article said, and he didn't care that he was hanging out with his mom. And right. you you talked about that you even found the local drug dealer, confronted him, threatened his life, and you said you did all kinds of crazy things. Talk about that moment. Okay. Well, yeah, this was because that other stuff is still down the road. This. this the one guy, the guy that he was working construction with, that t- 
turned out to, to be the local um, dealer um, who ended up being a very small-time dealer, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, right after that money started disappearing out of my bank account that day, um, the next time I found him over at that guy's house, I drove up to his house and knocked on his door, and when he came out, I mean, I grabbed him by the front of his shirt and and told him, I said, when my, when my son dies, I'm coming for you. Don't forget who I am. You know, I, I, I can't describe the desperation that you feel when you're losing your, it's like, it's like your child is drowning and you're losing your grip on them. I mean, figuratively, of course. And and somebody is pulling them away from you and pushing them under the water. That's what I felt like he was doing. And and yes, I know it was Zach was the one using the drugs, but um, I was trying to keep his head above the water. And I felt like this guy was um, standing in between us, you know. So yeah, I did. I did that crazy thing. <laughs> I, I don't um, think it sounds too crazy to people who want to save their their child's life. I, I would do the same thing. Hell, I'd be in jail. I, just, I would I, be. If that happened to my, my child, I, I, I'd, I'd be right there with you. Um, I, I would have done, I, I would have done anything. I, I, was literally following him around um, anywhere. I, you know, I called Verizon and and put put him on this child, I put him on this thing where I could see all the phone calls coming in and out. And then I was calling his drug contacts and saying, hey, (laughs) Um, I, I was saying, crazy stuff to them as well, you know. So uh, I I was doing some crazy things to try to save my son's life. And, you know, I know that sounded desperate too, considering how he had just, this wasn't somebody who had been in and out of rehabs for years and had been using heroin for years. He had just started and you know i people even even the people in the rehab and i guess i'll get to that next but didn't understand my desperation um they didn't they didn't understand it because the first time he went to rehab was in late august early september and um so we were still um that was right when we made the move from Kent Island to Ocean City. And um, he moved a little bit before me, unfortunately. And um, as soon as he moved, as soon as he got out of rehab, he relapsed. And I called 
the counselor at the rehab facility and and just sat on the side of the road and and cried to her and said he's he relapsed as soon as he walked out of there i don't understand he's he's going he's going to die from this and um she was like well no he's you know this happens a lot sometimes people have to go back to rehab two three times and i was like no you don't get it you know and um and she said well you know i think zach's going to get it though so anyway um then so i moved down here to ocean city with him and i quit my job before i even had a job down here to move to because to me it it didn't matter i didn't care if i had to work in a mcdonald's um right. to me the thing of primary importance was to get him as far away from his drug contacts as i possibly could and for me to be here to monitor him as closely as i could and it really by then he had already relapsed and it was um too late in that regard because then he was back to playing that game of cat and mouse with me again um because uh he had a car again <laughs> um a little beater back in he was a, a functioning addict he was back in school he was doing okay in college and everything but he was living here in Ocean City and I would check the mileage on the car every day and he would drive 300 miles round trip to Baltimore City where you you didn't have to have a drug contact you could go to the open air drug market and and buy heroin and then drive back so I would confront him about this and say, look, I looked at the mileage on the car. I know that you did this and would just lie to me and just, you know, blow me off. So it was getting to the point where um, I didn't know how to handle this again. You know, we had already moved as far east as we could possibly move. Um, uh I, you know, I thought, well, I could kick him out. I I can take the car away, um, and I can't force him to go to rehab, unfortunately. Um, he's not admitting to me that he has relapsed again. Uh, so I wasn't sure exactly how to handle this. I felt like I was pulling my hair out. And um, finally I did... I just took the tags off of the car, thinking that with the tags off of it, he's not going to drive it. And he did. He drove it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's driving this car around without tags on it from Ocean City all the way to Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, certainly he'll get pulled over at some point in time. And um, he didn't. Um, what did happen, though, was he he was in an accident and um, wrecked the car. 
and he he wasn't high when he wrecked it because he was on his way to Baltimore City, but by then the the car had been totaled, so he didn't have a car anymore, and um, he decided that he would go back into rehab at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, now this is where he was selling everything he owned. So during that period of time, he was working, but he wasn't working enough to support all that driving. And because I wasn't giving him any money, um, he that's when he sold. He even sold clothes at the to the consignment shops and things like that. Um, he sold his guitar. He sold, you know, anything that he could sell. And um, and so then he went back to rehab right after Christmas. And that's the time that it worked for him. So um, take us take us to the day that was the darkest where obviously when you lost him what was that day like walk us through that moment okay um that day was um now Zach had he had to go back to Queen Anne's County and file um he had to file uh, some paperwork with the court and he had not been, like they said in the article, I had been driving him everywhere. Um, he didn't have a car and our relationship had been repaired. We, we were better than ever. Um, he, he was back to where he was before, um, Except for this day, he had to go back there again. Um, Now, I worked in Snow Hill, which is um, south of Ocean City, by about a half an hour. So um, he borrowed my car. I allowed him to do that. He had a plan in place. We discussed this ahead of time. And his plan was to stay on the phone with his sponsor the entire time and um, so that he wouldn't be triggered by being um, that close to, you know, his old stomping grounds and everything. He said, he said, you know, I have this plan in place. I, you know, everything is going to be fine. Um, and then I'll call you as soon as I'm done at the courthouse. I'll come right back with the car and pick you up and everything. So anyway, I I tried calling him about on my lunch break and um he didn't answer so I immediately knew something was up and then at the end of the day he wasn't there waiting for me immediately and I really knew something was wrong um he came just a few minutes later but I could tell when he picked me up that um he had used so <clears throat> On the ride home, he was kind of, he had moved over into the passenger seat and I began driving. So I drove us home and um, I tried talking to him. He denied that he had used anything 
and he got angry with me and said that I was just accusing him and you know of something that he didn't do. And that's not the attitude that he had had for the last almost six weeks. Um, so I tried to talk to him about this. Um, we argued about it. Um, his plan that evening, he because he had been going to meetings every night, he had a group of... Um, young people that were in Narcotics Anonymous with him, they hung out every night. They went bowling, they went to movies, they played board games, they went to meetings every night. Great people. Um, Their plan that night, they were screening a movie here in Worcester County called Chasing the Dragon, and they were all going to that. And um, so Zach said, well... If it's still all right with you, I'm going to just go. Um, We're supposed to go to this movie. And he didn't wait for me to say anything. He just grabbed the keys and he left. So that was the last time we ever talked to each other. So um, he went to the movie. And I was here at home. And he, uh, I heard him come in later and I was I was happy that he had come in and hadn't gone. I remember thinking, well, I'm glad he didn't drive back up to Baltimore. Um and I figured, you know, we would talk about everything the next day after both of us had cooled down, you know. And I um I woke up earlier I woke up once and saw his light on and didn't go check on him. And then I woke up again at three and saw that his light was still on. And that's when I went and found him. Um, and I um, I had Narcan, of course. Mm-hmm. I tried to administer the Narcan and um, it was it didn't didn't work, and he was kind. He was sitting up against the uh, headboard of the bed, um, but he was in an odd position. Zach was a big young man. He was six um, two and over two hundred pounds, and he was in such a position that I couldn't perform CPR on him, and he was so heavy that I couldn't. I couldn't move him. I just couldn't move him. I can remember thinking what a lie it was. People say you get superhuman strength because I couldn't move him to get him in a position to do CPR. Um, His skin was already cold. Um, I had called 911 too during this whole thing. I called 911 when I went back to get the Narcan out of my purse. Um, So the phone was lying on the bed during all of this too, and I had it on speaker. Um, So that's, um, that's uh, it.
Early in the show, you mentioned another side of this story mm-hmm. that you had you created a Facebook page. Um, and I said this to you in an email in our discussion, and and I've people have reached out to me, and uh, when I said that I would be doing this show, and I got many positive messages today to say this is important to have these conversations. Um, And they're really tough. This is really, really tough to have this conversation. And I got other messages from people who said, don't have this conversation. Or Mm -hmm. this is, if if you have this conversation, we're going to do this and we're going to say this about this and they brought it back to politics um and but i can't ignore that you of 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 kind of what this issue also envelops and extends to and so talk about the facebook page that you created and the other side that you want people to understand about this story and what it means in a greater context? Um, Well, first of all, I, no one has ever asked me my party affiliation or my political affiliation, and that's not even a part of it to me. Um, um, I created the page for the reason that it states in the title, because I think it is a character issue. Um, I think that I owe it to my son because his questions were never answered during his lifetime um, to continue that in, in his memory and because I think that it is an integral part of the position of sheriff, um, my grandfather and my great-grandfather, both for not in Maryland, but were both lifelong members of sheriff's departments in, um, in the state of Virginia. And I know what a big part of the community it is, Um, I can't imagine voting for someone to be a sheriff and entrusting them with that kind of responsibility, knowing that possibly a member of my family or my children or my grandchildren could possibly go to them with a question or a concern or they may need them for something and he could possibly turn his back on them the way he turned his back on his own son that's the reason for the page you created the page and you have posted information of course about Zach's life Mm -hmm. and about his father and I don't 
I don't know the other side of the story, and the other side of the story can certainly be told. And I'm, I reached out to Mr. Albert, who is a Republican candidate for sheriff in Washington County, Maryland. Um, mm-hmm. I gave him advance notice that I would be doing this interview, and I thought it would only be fair. And mm-hmm. um, I I told him that we talked and that you had contacted me and. Um, you know, he had made a comment. I I don't think it was, as I read it, it's certainly not off the record that he told me that he doesn't want to politicize your son's life. And I think that there's a much bigger story here than the Mr. Albert Sheriff's bid. And we talked a lot about Mm -hmm. that earlier in the show, but I, but we just, we, I can't ignore that what this means and why you created it. And as someone in my mm-hmm. position, I have to ask these questions. Um, and it, when you created the page, what was the feedback that you received and did it stretch up to Washington County? Do you have people from the community there reading your page and asking you questions about this, the other side of this story? Absolutely. Now, by the other side of it, do you mean um, about Zach's life or about I, the I should opioid clarify. issue? I mm-hmm. should clarify. I'm I'm talking when I say the other side, and that's my fault for not being for being vague. Um, your relationship with with Anne Albert. Maybe you want to walk us through that in your own words, and what happened okay. there. Um, well. Brian and I worked together. Um, we were both uh, we both worked for DNR back in the um, early 90s, and we were both law enforcement rangers. And um, that's that's how we met. We dated, um, I guess, on and off, you would say. Um, and that's. Um, when I became pregnant with Zach, um, I certainly didn't know that he was seeing anyone else at the same time. Um, I, I, neither of us planned on um, my getting pregnant. In fact, I had taken precautions. Um, it was a, a failure of the precautions that I had taken. Um, but um, I told him that I wasn't going to have an abortion and um at first he you know he said he was supportive he said i'm not going anywhere um you know i'm going to be here for you and all this but um he in in popular terms today i guess you would say he ghosted on me um was a lot easier back then because there weren't there wasn't any social media so, what does that mean? Ghost? I'm not. I'm. Pardon me. I'm. I'm not familiar with that term. What does that mean? Um, he he sort of cut off communication with me. Uh, okay. So, um, I I of course had been over to um, his house multiple times where he was living on the eastern shore. He um, he and his roommate, who was a, a state police. Well, he was from Western Maryland also. They had been best friends back then. 
but they they lived in a caretaker's home on a, on a small estate on the eastern shore, um, close to where we worked. And um, Brian, um, when he wanted to make himself scarce, even though he was still working where we both worked, he began started driving back and forth to Western Maryland um, before and after each shift just to avoid me, um, you know, and wouldn't, wasn't calling me, wasn't returning my calls and everything. So I heard through the grapevine that he was seeing someone else. And um, then I met Susie when I went over to Brian's house to drop off paperwork from my doctor um, that I asked Brian to fill out. But um, he um, he started kind of, he had bullying, bullying um, behavior towards me to try to then um, make me have an abortion. Um, I told him that I wasn't going to. Um, that continued for a while. And then I heard that, that they had gotten married. And um, when I had Zach, I... By that time, we weren't speaking, so I just sent him, I sent him a certified letter telling him that I'd had our son. Um, I didn't hear from him. He never asked to see him, never asked how he was, um, nothing, uh, until we were in court for child support over a year later, so... Um, and I had some of those transcripts posted online. Even when we went to court, he didn't, um, he never petitioned the court for any visitation. Not that he would have had to. Um, I certainly, I've, I've always wanted him to be a part of Zach's life. Um, he never, never called to see how Zach was. Um, Never, he did pay the child support, um, but he was required to, and the judge didn't speak too kindly to him. He wasn't very impressed with Brian. Um, so judge, Brian never. What did the? I'm sorry. What did the judge say? Um, the judge had quite a bit to say to him. Um, he. He said that um, he wasn't impressed with his caddish behavior and that um, he didn't, um, let's see, he, he wasn't, even children, of, even even animals of the wild take care of their young and how dare he come into his courtroom and expect things to be all fuzzy for him when things hadn't been all fuzzy for me and the child, um, because Brian was trying to get the amount of child support to be lowered from what the um, the child support guidelines recommended. Um, and then he said that um, it rather frightened him that Brian had the position that he had and that other people depended on him for their safety which I think is particularly relevant now because he never changed his ways as far as 
Zach went, and he's still in that sort of a position now. But um, he continued to not have anything to do with his son um, until Zach was four. At age four, Brian suddenly called me out of nowhere and wanted to see him and um, suggested that we meet in a McDonald's restaurant and I immediately said, sure, we'll meet you there. And so we met in a McDonald's on Kent Island and um, had lunch. And Zach was a really shy little boy. He was just so excited, though, that he would finally get to meet his daddy. He could hardly contain himself when I told him um, because he had never even heard his voice before. He was so excited. And, um, but so shy, he could, he mostly stayed um, on the little playground inside. He, he was too shy to even come over and talk to Brian. And Brian really didn't engage him much. Um, so we stayed there maybe an hour. And um, I assumed that that was going to be, and Brian acted like that was going to be the start of a, a visitation schedule. He said he'd be in touch. And then he just never followed up, never contacted me again regarding visitation. Um, And Zach was um, as devastated as a small child can be. He really personalized it. He asked me why his daddy didn't like him when he met him. Um, His pre-kindergarten teacher called me not too long after that and asked me if um, Zach's father was deceased because she had um, heard Zach talking to one of his little friends, one of his classmates, Mm -hmm. and say that he thought his daddy was dead. Um because that's why he did, never saw him anymore. Um, so that was just something that, to me, that was almost worse than him not seeing him, because that personalized it for Zach um, to see him and then just to disappear again with no explanation. And through all of this, I um, I never said anything negative about Brian to that because I just always thought that he was eventually going to come to his senses and be a part of his son's life because well number one there was never any he never had a reason to hate me we never got in any kind of a, an argument except for him trying to when I was pregnant trying to force me into an abortion Um, But we had never had a contentious relationship. But that aside, regardless our feelings for one another, this was his son. And he could have a relationship with him without even having to like me, period. You know, Um, I didn't understand what he was doing. 
And so I, I always thought he was going to come around at some point in time. Um, and I wondered about the rest of his family also. I also thought that Susie, that her influence, that she would have some influence over his decision as well, or that his extended family would have some something to say about it. Um, it wasn't until Zach was older and we talked about it that we came to the conclusion that maybe nobody knew and that turned out to be correct for the most part. I mean, Susie knew, of course, but um, most of the family did not. So that was the only time that Brian ever saw Zach during his childhood. So as, as Zach grew older, um, you know, he would ask me questions and he would say things like, um, you know, as as he grew older and, and bigger, he, he he started getting taller and he would say, well, I just hope I hope I grow taller than my daddy. So when I meet him, he has to look up to me. And he wasn't saying it in a in a malicious kind of a way. He was just saying it matter-of-factly. Um, and he did grow taller than him. But um, we talked about the fact that, that maybe when he was old enough to have his driver's license, that that might be a good time if he had never heard from him by then, that that, that might be a good opportunity for him to try to contact him directly and that Brian might be open to meeting him when he could drive up there and meet him um, without me. Of course, he hadn't heard from him ever. So Zach was about 16 years old in three weeks, (laughs) and um, he asked me to help him send Brian an email. So I had his email address, and he composed an email to him. And just basically told him that, um, hi, this is your son, Zach. Um, I'm not trying to cause any trouble. I just want to know you and know my sisters and know that side of my family. And um, he did throw a statement in at the end um, that we had talked about that said, um, and my mom doesn't know anything about this, and I did allow him to throw the little white lion at the end just because I thought that would make Brian more receptive to it um, because he had to be handled with kid gloves, I thought. Um, so he sent that to Brian, and Brian did not respond um, immediately. He didn't respond until um, several weeks later um, Zach sent friend requests on Facebook to his sisters, Tori and Lexi. And I think at that point in time, um, Brian knew that he had to say something. Otherwise, um, the girls were going to find out they had a brother from the brother and not from him. So um, at that point in time, um, Finally, Brian did respond, 
and Susie responded, and the girls accepted his friend request. Now, Brian's responses were, I think the longest one was probably two sentences, um, maybe three sentences. There was never any explanation for his absence during Zach's whole lifetime. Um, What Zach did find out was that Brian was back working right on Kent Island where we lived, um, and he hadn't said anything about that. Um, So because he was working there, um, he arranged to meet Zach uh, at Alito's Pizza for lunch one day. So they met for lunch, and Zach said it was terribly awkward. Um, he said Brian just basically sat there and stared out the window, um, and Zach struggled to make small talk. Um, he, this is a boy who has just turned 16 years old, meeting his father for the first time since he was four, trying to make conversation with his father. And he said Brian still didn't offer any kind of explanation or apology or anything. Didn't make any plans to meet up again in the future. Didn't invite him to his home. Didn't say he wanted to introduce him to anybody else. And Zach had a very romanticized notion, I think, in his head of how this was going to go. Um, I think he thought it was going to be like an after-school special or something. I think he was hoping that Brian would meet him and be really proud of the young man that he was and, you know, throw his arm around his shoulder at the very least or give him a hug and, you know, explain things to him and um, give him some kind of an explanation or an apology and then come to see him play ball and, you know, cheer him on and take him around and introduce him to the family and say, that's my boy and I'm so proud of him and doesn't he look like me and... (laughs) You know, I I know that's what Zach wanted to happen. There was even a song on the radio then um, called Watching You that um, there was a country song. And I remember that because Zach started, Zach could play guitar then and sing. And it was by, I think, a guy named Rodney Atkins. And um, it was about, it was a, a man singing about his four-year-old child learning from him and watching him learning dad's example. And Zach used to sing that song all the time. And I know that it was because that's what was going on in his life. You know, he, he, he had this notion that this was going to happen and it just didn't. And Brian just kind of stopped communicating with him. And Susie picked up for Brian kind of dropped out and I always appreciated that she was kind enough to do that because she did keep it up and she was kind enough to sort of keep the 
emails going with Zach for a while, but I mean, Zach knew what was going on. Um, he understood that Brian really didn't want anything to do with him. Um, Zach invited him to his baseball games, and Brian was working right there on Kent Island, which is half a mile down the road from the high school. And Brian couldn't be bothered to go watch his son play baseball ever. Um, the son who he hadn't participated in his life, um, he he couldn't do that for him. Um, so he never, this was in 2011. Um, between 2011 and 2018, there was only one more meeting between Zach and Brian, and that was at an Orioles baseball game. Um, this was coordinated between Zach and the girls, um, where Brian, Susie, and the girls were already planning to go to the the game, and so Zach traded some tickets so that he and his friend, Marty, could go to the same game. So they met up at the game. They weren't sitting near each other, but they just met up inside the stadium and chatted, but Zach said it was painfully awkward because Brian wouldn't even talk to him. He just talked to Zach's friend and it made Zach just really uncomfortable because it was almost as though Ryan were intentionally snubbing him. Um, so then they did that for a few minutes, and then they all, they went to their respective seats, and that was over. So those were the three times that Brian met his son, laid eyes on him, period. Um, and that's it. Um, so that that's why when I posted that final, what I call the final email that Zach sent to Brian, he sent it to Susie first and then sent it to Brian. Um, it it proves that. There, there was no relationship um, as that Brian wants us to believe, or Brian wants the public to believe that he was building some sort of a relationship with Zach since age 16. There just was no relationship because Zach comes right out in that email and says, you know, things hit, hit the stall and then there was nothing and I need answers now. Um, you never gave them to me, and you've been living this lie for 22 years. So, have you have you been attacked by anybody, meaning verbally attacked or criticized for creating this Facebook page by anybody that thinks that you have an ulterior motive, whether? It could be politics, whether it's you're embittered, and obviously there's a there's a lot of emotional attachments. I mean, this is the death of your son. Have you been right. attacked or criticized by 
anybody in Washington County for creating this Facebook and posting what you've posted? Um, I've been questioned by a couple of people. Um, most of the, of the reaction I've gotten has been supportive. Um, I would say that the most um, vocal criticism has come from um, people that are directly involved in Brian's campaign. Um, there's a, a gentleman, a man, I don't know if he's really a gentleman, by the name of um, Cheryl or Sherelle Schultz. And I'm not intentionally mispronouncing his name. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. So I'll just call him Mr. Schultz. Um, and he is Payne's secretary. Um, he, he's been pretty verbally um, abusive in print, I'll say, not, not verbally in person. Um, he's called me everything from, I mean, he's called me a tramp. He said that I've, um, I'm responsible for my son's overdose, that I was evicted, and that's why he committed suicide, um, that I'm vindictive, and I just, I missed out on Brian, and that's why I'm doing this. And it's, it's silly. It's, it's a horrible thing to say to anyone. I wouldn't say those things to a stranger. Um, I Have you certainly responded? Wouldn't. Um, I think I said a couple of things in, just to try to set the record straight at first. And then I thought he wasn't worth my time responding to. I'm, I mean, it's just ridiculous for him to... The part about, um, I mean, calling somebody a tramp is is ridiculous and, and irrelevant. I believe this is the same gentleman. I, I believe that, as I say, Suzanne, uh, I, I believe this was the same gentleman who, um, a, a few minutes before we went on the air, sent me a private message that said, I'm not sure what you're trying to accomplish, but if you try and destroy good people, I will make sure it's returned to you. And trust me, you can dig up my past, but on the surface, I'll be glad to answer it. So if you want to do it, it's on you. Understand this expletive goes both ways. I'm retired and I have 24 hours a day to keep you honest. Expletive isn't a threat. It's a goddamn promise. And this was a message okay. he sent to me prior to this I'm, show. I'm so. Yeah, he um, also told me that he would bury me um, if I didn't take down the page within 24 hours and then destroy me if I didn't take it down. So he's full of threats. Yeah, um, I I could see that, and uh, that will be dealt with in due time. Um, <laughs> it's probably not the smartest thing to threaten a member of the press. Um have you contacted law enforcement about this gentleman who is apparently working with Mr. Albert's campaign or somehow associated with Mr. Albert, which I, I'm not sure if that would be the best person to, to be associated with, but um, I'm not here to judge, but I received yeah. a threatening, a threatening me message um, prior, a f you know, a few moments before going on to this show. And look, I've been, <laughs> 
I've been threatened before by bigger fish mm-hmm. and it's okay. Um, I'm not concerned. I mean, uh, I just think that it's intimidation, but have you contacted law enforcement about this person? I haven't um, yet anyway, but um, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just I'm amazed that Brian hasn't, well, I guess I shouldn't be amazed, but it's, it's ridiculous that Brian has allowed this person to be his spokesperson, um, which I can, I have to call him that because he's still affiliated with his campaign. Um, he's still his campaign secretary or treasurer. Um, he's still listed as the contact person on, for instance, his golf outing sign-up form. So this, I have to call him his Um, He's definitely a member of the campaign actively. Um, And when Brian made a statement that he didn't condone his statements, well, just allowing him to remain a member of the campaign while he's making these statements is tantamount to condoning the statements, in my opinion. So. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know his association um, and Mr. Albert's campaign finance report, which is listed um, on it's a matter of public record, I just accessed it. Um, it looks like I don't see this gentleman's name attached to him, but I do see the page. I've seen the comments. Um, and now I've been subjected, and it's it's not a laughing matter. Um, I'm not too concerned, but. Um, I, I don't find that necessarily appealing to to send those types of messages. There's a better way. And I offered this gentleman my phone number. He can call me and express mm-hmm. his opinion. Um, and I'm always happy and willing to have a conversation. Um, it's just not a seemingly not a smart approach. Um, and no. the purpose of this interview was an opportunity to talk to you, to have people hear your story and to focus on Zach's life. Um, and we, you reached out to me, and I, I felt that this was a, a, a very worthy conversation to have. And uh, if, if someone is listening that has a similar situation, then perhaps we can save a life. Um, the opioid crisis is a public health crisis. It is a mm-hmm. – it's, it's taken – too many, far too many people, too many young people, and it's it's something that there's a lot of discussion about what we can do to resolve this issue. And I have a good I have a good friend up in Washington County. She's actually on the Hagerstown City Council. Her name is Emily Keller, and she has made the opioid addiction her keystone issue. And she's gone after it. She's She's fought and fought, and she had a personal tragedy um, by losing a friend, and it inspired her. And I see that in you, and I see mm-hmm. that this terrible tragedy, um, and I think out of darkness there comes light out of every situation. I'm somewhat of an eternal optimist. What do you want to do? What do you – how do you want to honor your son's life? 
what what can you do to honor him years past? Um, I haven't specifically um, found my footing as far as finding finding a specific way to honor him yet. Um, right now, I I have I have volunteered um, with other people's organizations. Um, I try to do the what I call the the starfish approach, where um, I don't have necessarily a large platform. Um, and by the starfish approach, I'm talking about the the story where the the young boy and his grandfather walking on the beach when the tide goes out and all the starfish are stranded. And the young boy is throwing the starfish back and the grandfather says to him, you can't save them all. That's not going to matter. And the young boy says to his grandfather, well, it matters to this one as he throws one back. And um, because I don't have um, a large platform, or a lot of funds, um, I can focus on one person at a time. And as I meet people, um, if I feel that I can talk to them and help them, um, I do that. I've given people my personal telephone number and asked them to reach out to me if there's any way that I can help them. Um, if they're ever struggling, uh, I know that Zach, there was a point in time where, um, and I felt like the very night that he relapsed, he didn't tell his sponsor that he had relapsed because he had been doing so well. I don't think he wanted to even admit to his sponsor that he had relapsed because he felt like he was, you know, a shining example of of someone doing well in recovery. So um, when I've talked to addicts, I've, I've told them, if you ever have a situation where you slip or you feel like you may slip and you don't want to talk to family or you feel like you can't reach out to your sponsor even or to your friends, call me. Call me and talk to me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a stranger. You don't know me, but give me a call. And if I can help one person, that's where I'm at right now. So until I figure out a way where I can honor Zach's memory in a larger way, I'm doing it this way. Yeah. Well, it takes a lot of courage to come on and talk about something that I'm sure that you wake up every day knowing and go and throughout the day, and I'm sure that there's some moments of solace, but, um, you know, there's nothing that will ever bring him back. But I, by the, by the sounds of the memories that you've shared this evening and um, what we've talked about offline, um, just sounds like he was a great kid. Sounds like a, a, a guy that I would have probably would have wanted to know and hang out with mm-hmm. and get, to, and get to know. And, Sounds like he had a great sense of humor and was um, just taken way too soon. And I, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't know what to say or the right words, but I know that 
anybody who's listening, our hearts go out to you. I'm sorry about the situation. Um, and I offer Mr. Albert the same platform to come on and, and talk about this. Um, and this was just an opportunity to to have a, a conversation about something that I think is very valuable and important. And it's an issue that is front and center on everybody's minds. Yeah. And that as communities across this country, we can, we can work together to resolve this. And it's, it's not a, these are not satellite issues. It's, it's not, it, this is, this is far reaching. This is wide reaching. We hear about an opioid crisis and a subsequent addiction taking place every single day across this country. Right. And we lose another young person. So I want to say to you, thank you for, for having the courage to come on and talk about, as I said, something that is extraordinarily painful, that is raw, that is fresh, that is that a pain that will never go away. But I do appreciate I so am thankful and respectful of you and allowing me the opportunity and the honor for um, having you on and, and sharing this story. Um, and I sincerely appreciate you for entrusting me with um, giving you this platform that, that, that means a lot to me. And, um, I, uh, I hope that, I hope that for, for your sake, I hope that you get closure with respect to the, you know, some of the personal sides with, with Mr. Albert. And like I said, I don't know, I haven't heard his side of the story, but I hear you and Mm -hmm. I, I hear the pain that you've, obviously been through and that your son has been through and it is my hope that you find that closure that you desperately deserve i believe that you deserve it and um so i really appreciate you coming on and and sharing this evening with me well thank you i appreciate you giving me the opportunity absolutely um, letting me share letting me share zach's story well suzanne um you're a brave person and I hope that um, you find peace. And I hope that some good things come your way and that Zach's memory keeps you moving each and every day. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. And so I ask you to stay in touch and I hope we have the opportunity to meet one another. And um, so with that, I, I thank you for coming on for the last hour and a half. And uh, as I said, stay in touch. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Suzanne. Have a great week. Okay, everybody. That was Suzanne Damagala who talked about her son, Zach's untimely passing, who passed away far too soon from an opioid overdose in March of 2017. So... It's a sad, it's a terribly sad story. And even worse, it's happening all across the country. So I hope that we can shed some light on this issue. And I'm going to do many other shows about this. I'm going to bring on experts, law enforcement, leaders. um, And we're going to keep talking about this, keeping this issue fresh. We can just save one life. And I, I don't know if we can by having this discussion, but if we can just save one life, then it'll all be worth it. So 
you can find me on a minor detail.com and I am on blogtalkradio.com slash a minor detail. Thanks everybody for listening.